Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Why don't you stand to your feet and let's sing to our Savior, Mighty to Save. We have an awesome, wonderful Savior. Let's sing to Him this morning. Won't you join me even where you are at home? Let's sing together. Everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of And fill my life again I give my life to follow Everything I believe in Now I surrender Yes, I surrender conquered the grave shine your light and let the whole world see we're singing for the glory of the risen king jesus shine your light and let the whole world see we're singing for the glory Church. 
good to see you all here this morning. I am so thankful that the Lord extended his compassion and his forgiveness to us and that he is indeed mighty to save. We're excited this morning to have uh, two candidates who have already expressed their faith in the Lord Jesus um, by receiving him as their Lord. And they are coming this morning uh, to make that public to you that they are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they are not ashamed of their salvation. Um, our first candidate this morning is Garrett Hall. Garrett uh, came home, uh, uh, was at Awana one Wednesday night, and the Holy Spirit of the Lord convicted his heart, and he is right here. And after, uh, after Awana, uh, he felt the need to go talk to Miss Amy. And that night, he prayed and he received the Lord Jesus as his Savior. You see, these folks already know that baptism is not what saves you. Baptism is what you do after you get saved. Because it's an expression of what's going on inside of a person when they receive the Lord Jesus. They no longer live to themselves. They're dead to themselves. And then they're raised to walk in the newness of the Christian life. And it's a beautiful picture, an example of even what the Lord Jesus has done. That he died on the cross and that he was put in the tomb and that he was raised on the third day. And these two are coming this morning to express that to you. And so, Garrett, do you know that Jesus is Lord and he is the Lord of your life? Yes. Amen. Amen. Then upon your profession of faith... It's my honor and privilege to baptize you, my brother Garrett, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in the likeness of his death, and raised to walk in the newness of the Christian life. If you're here this morning as friends or family of Garrett, would you please stand? Next, we have Chloe Shanks. Chloe, uh, about a year, year and a half ago on Good Friday, really felt the Lord convicting her of her sin. And she went and she talked to her, her mom and her dad about becoming a Christian. And that day on Good Friday, she repented of her sin and by faith received Jesus as her Lord and Savior. Chloe, do you know that Jesus is Lord and he is the Lord of your life? Yes. Amen. Amen. Then upon your profession of faith, it's my honor and my privilege to baptize you, my sister Chloe, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in the newness of the Christian life. Would the family members and friends of Chloe please stand that we would like to see you here this morning as well. God bless you. God bless you. Now let's continue on in our worship service together. Amen. Wonderful way to begin our worship service this morning. We want to welcome you this Lord's Day. Uh, as we gather corporately to worship, also welcome those who are viewing 
online. If you're a guest of ours, we would love to have a record of your attendance with us today. You can fill out a care card in the pew rack in front of you or send us a message off of the website. We would love to hear from you. And we would love to join any of you in prayer, any prayer needs that you might have in your life. Uh, let me mention a few housekeeping matters as we get ready to uh, uh, hasten on with the service, but some things that we need to know about. Uh, first of all, you may expect Kevin Seeger to be up here doing the welcome and announcement time. As you know, he was one of the adults leading a mission trip this past week uh, to New York City. And we have had three of them come back with uh, COVID, uh, Kevin and Sherry being two of those, and also Kaylee. And so they and the rest of that group, of course, are quarantining and pray for them as they recover. It's good to see Josh Suggs with us back in worship today. He's been serving as an intern at Parkwood Baptist, and earlier this year, uh, he was supposed to fill the pulpit one Sunday and preach, and he's been itching to do that. And how exciting a young man itching uh, to preach and, and just uh, recognizing what God's doing in his life. And so he'll be leading us in that aspect uh, next week. Some things you need to know about. Uh, if you have not picked up a backpack, we're working with Fur Elementary and Pitts Elementary School and helping supply needed school items, please get your backpack uh, this morning. And in those backpacks is a list of supplies that the students need. Go out and fill it this afternoon. I trust most of you have already done that. And bring it back to Sweet Frog tonight on Concord, uh, Concord Mills Boulevard. I should say Bruton Smith Boulevard. Anyway, Sweet Frog's there at 5 p.m. and you'll see uh, the church mini bus and we'll be collecting those and getting those uh, to the respective schools. Also keep in mind your deacon nomination forms are due today. Uh, those are still in the lobby and uh, you can also go online and print off a version. You could uh, send us a copy of that on, uh, on your email if you wish to do it that way. Several other things. Ladies movie night. Coming up Thursday, August 26, 6.30 p.m. in the core, they're going to have a nacho bar, popcorn candy, door prizes. I tell you what, the ladies do it upright, don't they? Uh, why don't we get that? Uh, you look into that, I tell you. Uh, tickets are $5, and it's open to all ladies, 6th grade and up. On August 22nd, there'll be a Piano and organ concert at 4 p.m. in this room, uh, Ruby McElvain and Rita White. Uh, you don't want to miss that. Also, the Men's Be Strong Conference at Snowbird is coming up September 24th through the 26th. Cost of that event is $125, and we need your $50 deposit by August the 29th. Um, those involved in the children's ministry, get your back-to-school Eve kit, back-to-school Eve kit for your family to work through the suggestions the night before school, uh, school begins, and you'll be able to get that kit from Amy next Sunday. Uh, also, this Thursday, uh, location to be announced is the middle school launch at 6 p.m. Those moving up in the middle school 
with one parent present, please no siblings. We'll meet with uh, Amy and also Kevin Knight as he goes over some things in the youth ministry. And also Kids Day Out registration ends today for the August 16th, uh, 10th, August 16th event from 8.30 to noon. The cost is $10 and it's for first through fifth graders. Another deadline today, the Sunday fun day for first and second graders. Uh, painting and Sundays, making Sundays, that sounds good too, doesn't it? Uh, August 19th from 1 to 3 p.m. and that cost is $10 and the deadline is today. I want you to listen now to the word of the Lord. Colossians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father, we have come today to worship you. You are worthy of our worship. And we bow our hearts before you. And Father, we pray that our eyes, our ears, our hearts would be open to what you have to say to us today through your word. Lord, you know each need. You're more than sufficient. You're our mighty God, our deliverer, our refuge, 
and tower of strength. Lord, you know those today that need Christ, and we pray that you would move in their hearts and draw them to faith in Christ. We thank you for these baptismal candidates. Helps us to remember the day that we entered into these waters. And we made a profession of faith that we had died to self and to the things of this world. And we are now risen to walk in the newness of life that Jesus offers. Lord, may we exemplify that new walk each and every day. And as Paul says here, may everything that we do, everything we think, everything we say, everything we do, be aimed with one purpose, and that is to magnify your name and to bring you glory. Now use this time, Lord. This is the Lord's day. Lord, use this time for your purposes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the darkness we were awake without hope, without light, till from heaven you came run, there was mercy in your eyes, to fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word, from a throne of endless glory, to a cradle in the from their tombs and the angels stood in awe 
for the souls of all who come to the Father of restore. And the church of Christ was born, then the fear hit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not fade. By his blood and in his name, in his freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ,
death could not hold you, the veil tore before you, you silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. You have no All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Find Matthew 5, please. Matthew 5. How Christians are to behave before a watching world. Boy, we need this one today, don't we? How Christians are to behave before a watching world. Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. Let me say that this is, this is not really the sermon that I had intended to preach today. Uh, several things behind it. Of course, we know that students are about to begin their classes this fall. 
That's coming up quickly. Uh, on a less encouraging side, I've been listening to some pastors lately talking about the challenges of ministry in the time of COVID and about what a destructive force both COVID lockdowns have been on the church and also watching what Christians are posting on social media over the past couple of years, especially the past year to 18 months. And how oftentimes you can't tell Christians from non-Christians. And pastors trying to get things going again for the fall and just the challenge of that, getting people to serve. And again, pastors talking about how destructive all of these things have been on the body of Christ. And how some things that have such great potential like social media are now absolute poison. And how believers would do themselves a favor by deleting their accounts probably. And it's not the young people, it's the adults oftentimes that are the problem. But anyway, talking about hearing pastors talk about how they're just fed up. Absolutely fed up with what all is going on around us in the world and how Christians are mimicking the world versus being salt and light. I want you to take five minutes and listen to this video. A dear friend of mine who's preached here, pastor at the church that I came to you from. Uh, Parkwood and Gaston, you just listen to the closing comments in a message he preached lately that Amy Alley brought to my attention. Just, just listen here for a few minutes. Now I want you to pray with me, and I want you to hear me from the heart of a pastor with a heart of love and compassion and what I'm going to say in the next few minutes. I'm going to ask you to ask the Spirit of God to help you not get hung on one word I say that causes you to derail. If I'd have preached this sermon three weeks ago, I would have used the illustration with this lead sentence or phrase. As we're coming out of COVID, well, I'm not so sure that's true now. I'm not here as a physician, a politician, a doctor, a health care worker. I don't represent any of that. But I can read and watch the news. And brothers and sisters, the fear is about to take over again. Now, we've already gone down this road before. And I, and I just want to encourage you as men and women of God to keep in front of you what I'm preaching today. I know this has happened. I'm not saying it's happened in full as a congregation, but it has happened with some people. You can't set aside the mission of God because of a pandemic. Now, you need to know this. Every week, multiple churches across America are closing. 
Now, that was already happening on some level, but it is happening at an astronomical pace now because those churches chose never to come back together and now they can't survive. You're going to have to make decisions as followers of Christ, as the people of God, to live in obedience and independence. I'm not saying that you ignore a pandemic. I'm not pretending it's not real. I am not one of those people. I know it's real. I lived it. But what I am saying is that cannot handcuff us from living as we want to. As the spring was unfolding, things began to emerge. And you started to return and the kids' building started to fill up and student ministry never really suffered, nor did college ministry. They've been here the whole time. But people have been slow to return to working and serving in the church. Before, the reason was COVID and fear of things. And, and, and some of you, I understand. I'm not shaming those of you with health problems. I'm not. There's no shame in anything I'm saying. But then... I'm just being straight here. Prior to May, financially, the church was operating way above. Then May came. Now, you know what happened different culturally in May? You may know. Culturally, not congregationally. What happened in May? Everybody went where? On vacation. And when everybody left on vacation, our finances went. So, I'm just telling you what's happening. As we come into the fall, we're going to need people to serve. We're about to open a new building. We're going to have twice as many doors as people to go into. That means we need twice as many people to greet and welcome people into the local church. It means we need people to serve and to help with kids, and we need you to be faithful in your giving. Now, listen carefully to this next sentence. The mission of God drives the decisions, plans, and budget of Parkwood. Sometimes when you don't understand decisions we make, I'm telling you why we make them. The mission of God drives us. Not the preferences of people. Not the whims of humanity. The mission of God. And if we're going to see a harvest of righteousness, brothers and sisters, in 2021, we're going to have to be obedient to the mission of God and dependent on Jesus Christ to provide for us. Because it is in obedience and dependence that the harvest of righteousness comes. Hudson Taylor said it this way. God's work done God's way, will never lack God's supply. Here's what I'm telling you. We're still here doing God's work, and we're still here calling you to join us. And we want to do God's work God's way, and we're going to trust that God is going to supply. Let's pray. Amen. He would speak for.
probably just about every pastor right now. Matthew 5, stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 13. Jesus, looking at his disciples, said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Thank you. You may be seated. According to AP reports in July of 2004, Coach K of the Duke Blue Devils made the decision to remain as coach there rather than to become the head coach in the NBA of the Los Angeles Lakers. And he said he made this decision in part because of an email from a Duke student by the name of Andrew Humphreys, a 19-year-old biology major. In his email, Humphreys recounted childhood memories of playing basketball in his driveway and pretending to hit the shot that would win the national championship for Coach K. He spoke of the pride he felt in being a part of the six-man student body at Duke that fills Cameron Indoor Stadium to root for their team. He closed his email with the impassioned plea, plea, please still be my coach. In a press conference announcing his decision, Coach K said that Humphrey's email had moved him to tears and reminded him of the special bond that he felt with all of the Duke student body and especially his players. In part because of this email from one young man not even on his team. He turned down a $40 million contract from the Lakers to stay at Duke. Influence. And how even one can make a difference. A profound difference. Edith Schaefer, the wife of Francis Schaefer, a pastor, a theologian, a philosopher. Edith writes, when I was a little girl, my mother would often say to me, Edith, I know exactly who you've been playing with today. She knew because of the differences in my friends and how I would come home being much like whatever friend I'd been around that day. Influence, example, for the good or the bad. Folks, there's a powerful tension in the New Testament 
that Christians are to know this world is not our home. And so we're to be living for the, the kingdom of God, seeking first God's kingdom and God's will, knowing He's going to supply everything else, and we're to be laying up our treasures in heaven. At the same time, we're to be living in this world to make the world a better place. But as we live to make the world a better place, we're not to be like the world. We're not to mimic the world. We're not to take our cues from the world. So we're not of this world, but we live in the world, but we live for another world. We're going to have to be satisfied to live without ongoing tension every day in our lives. And all of that brings us to these verses I've just read in Matthew 5. But you need to understand where these verses fall. They fall on the heels of the Beatitudes that preceded them. You see, the Beatitudes tell us what type of character we're to have, what type of people we're to be on the inside. And with those things in place, then we will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You see, God addresses the inner person first. Because as Henry Blackaby once said in experiencing God, God can't give a big assignment to a small character. He grows our character. He grows the inside. And then from that, we impact the world. I suppose if we were to reduce verses 13 to 16 down to one word, it would be either the word example or influence. Either one would work. If we're poor in spirit, if we're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, if we're peacemakers, if we're persecuted for righteousness' sake, then we're certainly going to be people of influence. Folks, the Bible tells us it's not the world that's to shape the church. It's the, the, the church that's to impact the world. And it seems like we've got this turned all upside down. Paul says in Romans 12, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Unfortunately, the church today at large across the world seems to be moving in the wrong direction. Currently, 67% of Americans say religion and the church is losing its influence in the culture. Now you need to understand how rapidly this is changing. Uh, back in April of 2005, 50% said that. So in just those years, another 17%. Then December of 2001, only 24% said religion and the church is losing its influence. And so now every few years, at an alarming rate, more and more Americans are admitting that religion is losing its influence on society. And yet we must not forget Jesus' words here. I imagine these words of Jesus were a shock to his disciples. They were ordinary fishermen. They were blue-collar type men. They weren't the power brokers of their day. 
And yet Jesus looked at these plain, ordinary disciples and said, You and you alone are the salt of the earth. You and you alone are the light of the world. Now notice he wasn't specific. He didn't say, You're simply to be salt in the world of education. You're to be salt in the world of finance. You're to be salt in the world of politics or medicine or whatever it would be. He said, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It's intentionally broad. In other words, wherever Christians operate, we're to be salt and light in that arena. I want you to see first, Followers of Jesus Christ are to dampen the tide of moral and spiritual decay in the world. As he looked at his disciples, he said, you are the salt of the earth. And it's emphatic in the Greek text that has the sense, you and you alone are the salt of the earth. The implication, you and nobody else. Think about that. Christians are pretty well the only ones in society that are going to hold the line on moral and ethical issues of the day. If we don't, I don't know who else is going to step in and do it. I don't know about you, but I'm growing weary of some of the news. I'm tired of reading things like the following. These three... These three people jumped this 81-year-old man and almost beat him to death. Onlookers got in their cars and drove away. Here are photos of the three that we're looking for. Please help us identify them and bring them to justice. A pedestrian jumps a woman jogging on the sidewalk in New York City, tackles her, pulls her clothes down, molests her, and runs off. No one helps. So-and-so is engaged in a brawl on social media. And here's who all the people are jumping in and taking different sides and saying this and that. Aren't you growing weary of stories like that? Growing weary, just like Pastor Jeff said, of the number of churches closing permanently across America because of COVID. Pastors saying, we can't do it anymore. And a new high of people walking away. You know, the Bible mentions in the end there will be a a falling away. Is this part of that? I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet, but but I do work for a (laughs) non-prophet. By the way, that's not original with me. D.A. Carson said that. What a responsibility Jesus is pointing out here, though. You know, salt was one of the most precious commodities of the day. The ancient Greeks referred to it as being divine. Theon. Romans held that sun and salt were the two most valuable things in existence. Roman soldiers were sometimes paid in salt. That's where we got the saying, he's not worth his salt. That's where that saying comes from. Our word salary can be traced back to salt. Think of what salt does. It adds flavor. I mean, we're in the summertime. Don't you love a good buttery ear of corn on the cob with salt on it? Or how about a good garden tomato with salt on it? Isn't that good? 
Some people put salt on their watermelon. You're not right. I just want to tell you, you're not right. There's, there's something wrong with you if you do that. Salt increases thirst. You know, the world ought to look at disciples and say, you know what, I'm, I'm not sure what you have, but you got something I don't have. I want it. Has your life ever had any similar effect to that on anybody around you? Salt in small doses in ancient times was even good for the land. Too much, it'd kill everything. Tomatoes coming in this time of the year, people say, you know what, I'm getting rot on the bottom of the tomatoes before they fully ripen. Extension agents will say, take a tablespoon of Epsom salt, dissolve it in a gallon of water, pour around the base of the tomato plant. Guess what? The tomato rot's gone. Small doses. Most of all, salt was a preservative. And commentators agree that's the chief meaning of what Jesus was talking about because back then they would rub salt into their meat and their fish. They didn't have refrigerators. And Jesus' disciples were fishermen. And so when they would catch their fish on the Sea of Galilee, one thing I can envision in my mind doing as they're getting ready to transport it down to Jerusalem to the open markets, they would salt it down to preserve it, get it ready for market and the journey from the Sea of Galilee down to Jerusalem. Folks, that's the picture of the world in us. The world is rotting. It's decaying. And you know, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, as time goes on near the end, it's going to get even worse. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. The world desperately needs the example and the actions of Christians. For Christians to live like Christians. We are to prevent decay. We are to permeate society. We are to have a prophetic voice. Be rubbed into society, if you will. Not isolate ourselves off from everything in society the way some groups do. Some religious groups even. We are to permeate society and we are to be like salt rubbed in. Folks, if the world's bad enough, just think where the world would be without the church. Without any Christian influence. Craig Blomberg, a scholar on Matthew and a scholar on all of the Gospels really and the parables, he says in light of the countercultural demands and the Beatitudes, one might think that Jesus was calling upon his followers to separate from society. Here Jesus makes it clear that just the opposite is the case. Christians are to permeate society as agents of redemption. But now I want you to think of a huge temptation or a huge danger. What's the potential or the danger in being the salt of the earth? Jesus spoke of that in the second part. Look at the second part of verse 13. What's he talk about there? The salt becoming tasteless. And how's it going to be made salty again? It would be good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. 
You see, folks, they gathered their salt from around the Dead Sea. It had a lot of contaminants in it. And if a batch had too many impurities in it, it had to be thrown out. They would throw it out on walking paths. Or sometimes the rain would leach out the salt, leaving a white powdery uh, mineral base behind. You thought you had salt, you'd taste it, and it wasn't, and you'd throw it out. Let's think of some application points. Jesus is saying here, you and I had better guard our walk with him. It doesn't take very much to be stained, to be polluted and corrupted by the world. The church, is in the, the church is in the world, but woe to the church if the world gets in the church. If something like that happens, we lose our testimony for Christ. We don't lose our salvation, but we lose our testimony, our effectiveness. Incidentally, the word tasteless here can also mean foolish. There's a play on words here. The disciple who allows himself to become like the world and loses effectiveness is being a fool. Dr. D.A. Carson, maybe the number one evangelical scholar today, perhaps, He says disciples who lose their savor are in fact making fools of themselves. And so what must we consistently do? We must stay untainted by the world. As John says in 1 John, Do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father but is from the world. And the world is passing away in its lust, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. Now not only are Christians to stem the tide of moral and spiritual decay in the world. But next, Jesus moves on to point out, followers of His, followers of Jesus Christ, are to spread the good news of Christ in the world. He begins talking about that in verse 14. You know, if you live out the Beatitudes, you're going to shine in the darkness. You're going to bring light to the world. Just like the world is decaying, the world is dying in darkness. Christians are to be light by reflecting the one who is the light of the world, Jesus. You know, the world thought with the period known as the Enlightenment that problems of society will now diminish. Folks, while we can be grateful for many of the advancements in learning, we've got to admit all the knowledge in the world has not solved our problems. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 that the world through its wisdom has not come to know God. Peter also is another one. That talks about Christians being light in 1 Peter chapter 2. That we're like strangers in the night. We live amongst a culture that is against God. And yet we're like strangers in the night. We're sojourners passing through. And while we're here, we're to be living for Christ 
and following the, in obedience the exhortations of the Lord. But here again, there's a danger that can creep in. Jesus said, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And so there's the danger of concealment. Back then, cities were set atop of hills. They were done that way, so for miles around, you could see them. You could see what, what direction to go, because all these homes would have these little lamps lit up in, in, in their living quarters. But it was also a defensive thing. A city set on a hill is harder for enemies to attack. But you know, just by nature of a city being set atop a hill... It, it would be impossible to do what? It would be impossible really to hide those cities. Unthinkable. Likewise, it would be foolish to light a lamp in a little home back then and then take a basket and put over top of that light. You'd be defeating the purpose while you lit it. They would light a lantern in those little Israeli homes and they would put it on a lamp stand. So it'd be elevated and it would shine its light around the whole home. Folks, there is no way you would light a lamp to hide it. But some Christians do that very thing with their lives. Jesus has brought light to their soul. He's brought salvation to their soul. And yet, they conceal the light. It should be unthinkable. A concealed disciple or a sacred disciple would be of no more use to God in this world than one who has lost his distinctiveness that Jesus was pointing out in the Beatitudes. I know it's not quite the same thing, but think about it. We, we will get so aggravated or disappointed when we hear of some well-known Christian who's done something and lost his or her testimony. But if we never testify to the light of Jesus in us, we've hurt the Christian message too. In different ways, we've hurt the message just like this famous person has. And so while corruption, while being like the world, hurts the message, so does concealment. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who lived through the reign of Hitler and actually was put to death by Hitler's regime in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he's got some powerful words for us. He says that the Christian community who conceals its faith in Jesus and never shares its faith has ceased following Christ as Lord. So what's the solution? Let your light shine. Tell others what Christ means to you and what he has done. Remember the Gerasene demoniac? He wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus said, no, you just go back to your village, your people, and tell them the great things the Lord has done for you. It can be as simple as that. You don't have to have a Ph.D. in theology to do that. Just share what Christ has done for you. But I want you to notice the caveat here. 
We're to shine, but not in such a way that it appears the credit would be going to us, but so that God would be credited. That's the aim of our good works. So that men will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. The word good here is the Greek word kalos. It emphasizes beauty. It emphasizes attractiveness. Others, by our good works, see the beauty, the attractiveness of what Christ has done in our lives and it calls attention to him not to us but what he's done in us and the result is men glorify God it's kind of like the apostles in the book of Acts and their boldness in what they were doing do you remember what the book of Acts says about them that the authorities took note that these men had been with Jesus isn't that powerful Our lives are to bring glory to God. We get our word doxology from this word. Your life, my life, is to be like a doxology of praise to God. What's your example right now? Are you being salt? Are you being light? Or are you living like the pagans around us, like the world around us? How about your speech? How about your social media activity? If somebody could lay out all your conversations and pages beside those in the world, would they see any difference? How about your example? I think of Daniel in the book of Daniel. Remember Daniel? And folks, the amazing thing, keep in mind, this is a guy who's probably somewhere between the ages of 14 and 17. Nebuchadnezzar comes in, the Babylonians overrun Judah, they take the cream of the crop captive, Daniel's in, in that crop of young people, they carry him away to Babylon to make Babylonian disciples out of them. They, they try to train these young men in all the ways of the Babylonians, all their language and literature, and all their food, and their food, the problem there was their food had been sacrificed or offered to their pagan gods. And verse 8 of Daniel 1 says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. A young man in a pagan land, away from parents and friends, and everybody that probably knew him, he purposes in his heart that he's going to remain pure and his heart is given to the true and the living God. And he's not going to let the culture defile him. Amazing. Be a Daniel. Amen? I want to ask you today, God help me to be salt and light in my world. Help me to be salt and light. And God, wherever my life is dirty, is there something in your life you need to give urgent attention to and deal with it because it, it, it's going to hurt your testimony? Are you ashamed to tell others about Jesus? Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father who's in heaven. Folks, leave here today with your thoughts on your mission field. Who do you need to shine the light of Jesus to? And remember, again, just like Pastor Jeff said, pandemics don't change the fact that you and I are to still live on mission for Christ. 
And we're to join him in his mission. Are you doing that? Or have you locked down from that in some sense? Would you stand, please?